Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for May 15th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Too Much of a Good Thing, A Transgender Challenge for Pentecost. The story from Genesis is confusing and confounding. In our men's study on Thursday morning, Brian Smith finally said with exasperation in his voice, if God really did this, this ticks me off. And you can understand, there is not a picture in our scriptures anywhere that depicts people who seem to have gotten it together, gotten their act together any better than this text. Just imagine the people of the world, now they had come out of Noah's family, but it was all the people of the world that the writer knew of. They were one language and the same words. No communication barriers They had migrated together and had settled in order to build community. They knew their strength was in numbers. They didn't want to be scattered, so they stopped to build the first city in the world. Instead of warring among themselves, as we see throughout ancient and modern history, they used their gifts together for a common purpose. They worked diligently, intent on making a name for themselves. As the Bible says, a good name is to be had better than riches and gold. While this tower they were raising seems to have been the initial source of God's curiosity and concern, it was not, and you'll excuse me here, it was not Trump Tower they were building. The text does not say they were working to make a name for one of them, for their best leader, for the richest of them, for the most popular They were working to make a name for the people, all of them together. As the Bible says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. This centerpiece, this tower, this centerpiece of supposed presumption and arrogance deserves to be considered otherwise. There is nothing in the text to indicate the people sought to supplant God by their industrious ambition. Maybe the tower was to stand as a symbol of their hard work, a monument to cooperation. Maybe the tower was to point into the heavens as an architectural paean to the praise of God, like the steeple on this sanctuary, a finger of strength pointing to God. Maybe that's what the people had in mind. This is a grand picture of unity and common purpose. It's a reminder that we need so very much today frighteningly divided as we are by partisan ideologies, socioeconomic strata, racial identities, cultural expressions, religious convictions. 
The ancient tale reminds us of our country's own motto, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. Let us be one. We need to be reminded that united we stand and scattered as they were afraid we fall. In the midst of this incredible picture of beautiful humanity at work, God's words are just stunning. Many of us were raised in the Protestant tradition, which still lurks in the long, menacing shadows of John Calvin's theology, which managed to shame the church into a paralyzing guilt that we are still yet to get over for the innate wickedness of the human creature. Calvin talked about the depravity of man. There is nothing good in us. We are black to the heart of our soul. We will always be selfish. We will never work together, not of our own initiative. We will always build our towers in place of God, creating idols of arrogance. John Calvin thought we were helpless and worse than helpless harmless to ourselves and others without the dramatic intervention of God. I don't know how Calvin overlooked this story affirming the inherent worth, the infinite power that has been bequeathed to human beings because God's own words challenge Calvin's despairing anthropology. Look, God says, this is just the beginning Nothing they choose to do, nothing will be impossible. What an incredible affirmation of our human potential. So God says, let's get down there. We got to stop this now. Figure that out, would you? Makes you want to scratch your head or shake your fist. And with a little more, a little condescension in your voice, maybe say, God, what is it that you don't get about this? Don't you understand, God? Can't you see what a good thing this is? Yes, God could see. God could see what a good thing it was. But God also knew that too much of a good thing. Well, human beings, as innately powerful as we are, having been created in the image of God, having the power literally in our hands to accomplish all things. God also knows, looking across human history, that we have never been able to handle too much of that good thing. That one language they had has always been used ultimately to enforce conformity. Now what would be wrong with having the same language but using different words? The scripture says they had one language and the same words. What would be wrong with one language and some different words? But we've never trusted that, Heil Hitler. Look at North Korea today. It's not just the army that marches in precise lockstep 
the words of the starving population of North Korea uniformly praise their dictator with the same words. Or what would be wrong with using the same words in a different language? We've got that fight going on in the U.S. today. They need to learn our language, I keep hearing people say. And exactly what would be wrong with the world's greatest melting pot, the world's most successful immigrant democracy being bilingual or trilingual? like the rest of the world. You know what you're called if you speak three languages? Bilingual. Trilingual. If you speak two languages, you're called bilingual. And you know what you're called if you speak one language? An American. What would be wrong with us learning another language? No. I think what God knows is that diversity Uh, Excuse me, I think what people know is that diversity is a dangerous thing. If we let them use their own words, well, before long, they'll be thinking their own thoughts, too. And we can't have that. And that tower they were building, well, you know as well as I do that it always ends up having somebody's name on it in lights. Have human beings ever proven we could handle too much of a good thing? We have not. So God says, look, they are one people. Apparently God wants many peoples. Obviously God prefers the beauty of difference Red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and russet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and olive and rose and azure and lemon and russet and gray and purple and white and pink and orange and blue. Beautiful. Maybe God prefers Republicans and Libertarians and Democrats rich and poor, capitalist and communist, gay and straight, bisexual and transgender. You cannot read the Bible, which includes this confounding story, you cannot read the Bible and think that God has anything but the very best of intentions for us. The Jewish scriptures follow the narrative of God and the one people God has chosen through whom God intends to bless all the nations. It's there in the very next chapter of Genesis for us when God calls Abram and Sarai. The Jewish scriptures trace the love of God for this small band of Hebrew migrants who traipse all across the ancient Middle East getting it right and getting it wrong, and finding God's forgiveness, and starting all over again, and again, and again, and again. And then we come to the Christian narrative that says God took the same initiative, another giant step. It looks as if God realizes we're having a hard time with a chosen people and a set of laws 
So God comes down again, this time to pitch a tent among us, to live with us, to live like us, to help us live in abundance by knowing what it means to wear this skin of ours, even to die this death of ours. You cannot say God does not want us to succeed, that God's final intent was to confuse us. You can't say that. But every good parent and teacher knows that children do not learn when we succeed easily. and Do not succeed when we are given everything. Success comes from working hard for something worthwhile and from learning the beauty that we are all so God says, let us confuse their language so they will not, one another, not understand one another's speech unless they work at it. I don't understand how Pentecostal Christians, and I mean no offense to them, but I don't understand how they derive their belief in speaking in tongues from the Pentecost story that Amy just read to you. The story never says, it never even implies that there was some new ecstatic utterance spoken that day. There was no glossolalia, no speaking in tongues like Amy heard on Saturday. What the Elamites heard in Jerusalem that day was a Galilean speaking Elamite-ish, whatever they spoke in Elam. The Romans heard a Galilean speaking Latin. The visitors from Asia heard Turkish and Bulgarian and Greek. So despite the many sermons to the contrary, Pentecost was not the reversal of the confused tongues of Babel. The whole earth had one language which God confused into many languages. At Pentecost, God does not bring them back to one language. What we have is a greater miracle than that. What we have is the equivalent of Americans learning to speak to our Hispanic roofers and brick masons and day laborers in Spanish. God did not overcome the people's intractable problems by miraculously putting one language back into all of their mouths. But somehow, for just a moment, those Galilean followers of Jesus, whose resurrection had changed their entire world, those Galileans who spoke Aramaic, learned that we do not need just one language. We need to learn to speak each other's languages. You see, nature loves diversity. Red and yellow and green and brown and all of that beauty. And that is exactly what God gave us at Babel and exactly what God affirmed at Pentecost. Waiting on the Spirit.
We are living through a crucial, if excruciating, moment in American life. The changes are long, long overdue. Every culture known to human history has had homosexual members. Dealing with those members of the human family is nothing new. But the political movement that has swept our nation in just a few years, introducing the idea of marriage equality and then making it the law of the entire land, the speed of that movement has been overwhelming to many. Change does not come quickly or easily, especially if your frame of reference to the world is always looking back. And now, just on the heels of marriage equality, we are introduced to an idea that is even new to the most progressive among us. The Charlotte City Council's non-discrimination ordinance and the reaction of HB2 have brought the word transgender into our televisions and laptops and iPhones, but not necessarily into our homes. They were already there, you know. The blogosphere and ever-dying print media have exploded with stories and explanations, experts and uninformed pundits. Almost overnight, the veneer, which has conveniently concealed the lives and struggles of almost overnight, the veneer that has conveniently concealed the lives and struggles of transgender children from the rest of us, that false veneer has been ripped off. Nature loves diversity, and a lot more of it than most of us can admit. The abundance of research and the stories of so many of God's beloved children makes clear the incredible variety and range of God's creativity. Perhaps this is nowhere more uncomfortably obvious to some than in the variety of gender and sexual expression. But we are going to have to come to grips with the, the reality of an animal kingdom and a humanity that never has conformed to the one language of binary expression. I know the Bible says God created them male and female, but this will hardly be the first time we have learned to read our scripture differently. And scary though it may be, as we learn to read anew, as we begin to hear the sound of other languages of experience, we must pray for the hope Pentecost. The first philosophical thought I ever had as a child went like this. What color is this? It's red, of course. How do you know it's red? You were taught it was red, right? Everybody knows that's red. But it suddenly occurred to me, maybe that color doesn't look the same in your mind as it looks in mine. Maybe it actually looks like what you call green, but I've been taught to call it red, as you have. You know what I mean? 
How would we ever know that what I see is red is the same thing you see is red? We've just been taught to call that color, whatever it looks like to you, red. Now I bring this up because it's not at all clear what it was that the people from around the world heard on that Pentecost day. Were those Aramaic-speaking Galileans actually speaking Turkish, Greek, Elamite? Or were the brains of those Turks and Greeks and Elamites just actually able to hear Aramaic in a new way that made it sound like the language they knew? Kind of makes your head hurt, doesn't it? I will never speak the transgender language not mine. I will never speak the homosexual language. I'll never speak African American. I will never be able to speak the language of being a woman. I will never understand those words. But that's not really the point of it, is it? The point is that somehow the miracle of Pentecost is that God takes all the beautiful variety of our expressions, of our voices, of our very different languages, and somehow in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And when we can hear, when we can finally hear again, Nothing we propose to do will be impossible. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.